How do you normally start cooking? Olive oil, right? Well, I have great news for you. This podcast is also brought to you by California Olive Ranch, expertly crafted extra version olive oil. Go to CaliforniaOliveRanch.com and enter the promo code CHICKENS10, that's one word, CHICKENS10, to receive 10% off your entire first purchase. The offer is available through December 31st. California Olive Ranch discovery starts in the bottle. Let's start the show. Pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Baella. Hello there, my chickens and dishes. How are you? Welcome back for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, or David Guimarães Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And as always, just in case, if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has this exceptional name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if we've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around the table, and even what's the best breakfast ever. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and all the platforms you have access to. You can follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes or the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. I hope you enjoy listening to every episode and don't forget I'm Portuguese. So if you don't understand something, just Google it. My guest today is a creative and passionate dietitian, nutritionist, and marketer. She's also the marketing director for AeroFarms, the largest indoor vertical farm in the world, responsibly growing nutrient-dense, pesticide-free leafy greens all year round. A veggie cheerleader, she's also the co-founder and co-host of the podcast Seeds in the City. Alina Zolotareva, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I, you know... Considering everything that's going on, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how about you? I'm, I'm great. Awesome. Love, I love to be home, so I love, I'm an indoor cat. <laughs> two, two important questions before we start our conversation. Have you been to Portugal? So check this out. Right the answer is no. <laughs> check this out. But right before the pandemic, a group of friends and I had plans to go to Portugal. Convenient. Um, That's a great answer. People should have that answer all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And we were so excited to go. And mm -hmm. uh, we were actually going to go to Portugal and Italy. And I've heard so many incredible things about the food scene and just how, how pristine um, Portugal is and how beautiful it is. And I spent a little bit of time in Spain in the past. I actually love Spanish culture and I speak Spanish and I'm obsessed mm -hmm. and I had never been to Portugal. And so I was like, okay, that we're going to go this year. And then all of a sudden, bam, all plans are foiled. So the second we can fly, that's the first place I'm flying. Perfect. Do you know any Portuguese words? Um, pastage de nata. The custard. Yes. A lot of, for some reason, a lot of people say that word. Yes, it's the custard tarts. They're delicious. Yeah, the Portuguese custard tarts. You work at the largest vertical farm in the world. What does that entail? 
Oh my gosh, what does it entail? So Aero Farms, just to give a little bit of background, Aero Farms is, we are a vertical farming company. We're a mission-driven vertical farming company based in Newark, New Jersey. And actually Newark has a big- A lot of Portuguese people, yeah. Mm -hmm. Time I'm at Newark, um, we go to Siabras and all the other um, wonderful Portuguese restaurants and cafes there. But so we grow leafy green vegetables indoors um, using a proprietary aeroponic vertical farming technology. So what that means is there's no sun, there's no soil. We grow food all year round. So we take the same seeds that farmers use for outdoor agriculture and we optimize the environment inside to uh, grow them to be basically perfect in terms as perfect as possible in terms of their quality their flavor their um, nutrient density their shelf life you know consistent uh, visual consistency all of that um, good stuff we do it in in the middle of formerly abandoned steel mill in newark new jersey Um, so i've been with aero farms for about five and a half years now at first we were quite a small team about 13 to 15 people in a, in a research and development facility down in downtown Newark. And now we've built out this big vertical farm um, and our headquarters in, uh, in the Ironbound section of Newark and have plans to expand to other parts of the USA as well as around the world. So it's been really, really exciting in my personal job. So I'm, I'm the marketing director. So my, uh, my, my job is really to oversee our, our brand. We have two brands um, at Aero Farms. We are um, a technology company. We own and operate all of our technology, like I shared, and our mission is really to grow the best plants possible for the betterment of humanity and, and deploy and develop these technologies that are really revolutionary. And it's called Dream Greens by AeroFarms. Mm-hmm. So um, my, my job is basically to oversee those brands. You said aeroponics, and I'm sure a lot of people ask you this. So let's pretend a crowd of 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And if you can extend a little bit on the aeroponics, what is it, the advantage and disadvantage of that, especially in contrast to regular farming and hydroponics? Sure, yeah. So um, aeroponics is um, a method of growing food similar to hydroponics in that the there's still a water source right so the nutrients are still dissolved in water so the nutrient delivery system is still through water Um, but the difference is that we're using a fraction of the water um, that that's being used in both traditional field farming and also in hydroponics and that water is being targeted at the root structure in a lot greater precision um, than can be done in hydroponics and um, in in outdoor uh, farming so all, all that's to say is that we're, we're using water very, very efficiently. And I think that this is a very important point um, because when it comes to food, very few people think about the connection between the water supply and the food supply. 70% of our fresh water supply goes to growing food crops, right? It's going to leafy green vegetables. It's going to agriculture in general. So, um, the way and we're, we're running out of fresh water supplies around the world. It's a scarce resource and it's a resource that not a lot of people are really thinking about and talking about, but that was really the driving force behind our founders coming together um, to, uh, to, to form AeroFarms. Our CEO, uh, David Rosenberg, was actually really was looking at solutions to address the freshwater crisis. He realized and saw how much water is actually used towards growing food and so wanted to find the most efficient and effective system 
um, to grow food with the least amount of water. So that's why we're using aeroponics. We actually use 95% less water. We give or take, it's also around 30 to 40% less than in hydroponics. And then our water in our systems, it recirculates over and over again. So we're not losing any water and we're not losing any nutrients, if you will. Everything gets kind of recirculated. So the advantage part, of course, there's a, there's a huge upside there, but is there any disadvantage to where you guys grow leafy greens? Yeah, I mean, disadvantage, advantage, the way that I look at it is that it's an evolving technology and it's a very neat technology. Everything that we've uh, created is our own tech. So from scratch, basically, we grow on a cloth medium, everything is from scratch. So um, even down to our lighting arrays, our LED lights are also um, custom, we custom develop them. In terms of the disadvantages, I would just say that we are, we are the most advanced uh, company in, the, in a very young industry. So um, right now we have only commercialized leaky green vegetables, but where we do grow and have grown many, 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 many other types of crops, they're, they're not commercial quite yet. Um, but soon, soon enough, we'll be coming online with different types of crops. So to answer it in terms of a disadvantage, I would just say there's still more room to um, deploy uh, this technology to grow a wider range of crops. Um, Other than that, it's, it's a brilliant technology. So a lot of people, especially when it comes to traditional farming, people think about, you know, the richness of the soil, right? That's why different countries grow different things and things like that. How can you provide quote unquote, that richness, right, to your leafy greens without having the soil parts? Of course. So, uh, you know, when I first when I first got to the company, that was my biggest question, because my background, um, as you mentioned, is actually in nutrition sciences and dietetics. I'm a clinical dietitian. And my my biggest um, uh, interest um, in, in coming and working uh, at AeroFarms was to try to solve the problem of food access and food security uh, and delivering that consistently to people. I had a lot of questions about is the food going to taste, is it taste the same as food grown in soil? Can it taste the same? Is it as nutritious as food grown in soil? Can it even be as nutritious? How can you replicate everything found in soil? It's such a complex substrate, right? You had a lot of questions Um, coming in. Yeah, no, I had a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm still at AeroFarms is because I, I see how this method of growing food can actually help reverse a lot of the problems that we currently have with our soil, um, with our water supply, and with the nutrient density of our food. Mm -hmm. So the first question was about about soil and how do you replicate that. This concept of terroir is really fascinating. It is the the composition of the soil, meaning what minerals are in that soil, um, what what is the water content of that soil, what is the microbiome um, of that soil, right? But it's also the climate, um, what, what is the temperature of, you know, what, what's the average temperature? What is the humidity? What is the elevation? There's a lot of different pieces. Kind of, what, what are the kinds of um, other species? What's the biodiversity like? How is all of that interacting together? And that forms this special uh, fingerprint, this terroir of the mm-hmm. region, right? Like wine, um, you know, big concept in wines, big concept in, in, in many different types of crops. But if you look at it from the lens of, of, of a scientist, these are all inputs. If you look at it from the lens of a scientist, they're, they're, they're all inputs. So um, just like you can have like the most delicious tomato that was grown in like, you know, 1995 in some area of Spain, you can take a look and investigate and say, okay, well, what was more or less, what was the composition of that soil from a mineral perspective? More or less, what was the temperature? What was the humidity? 
what was the genetics of that plant? Um, and then you can, you can take that recipe and you can replicate it indoors. And not only can you replicate it indoors, you can replicate it every day at one point in time. So of course you're not gonna get everything right. What we don't know what we don't know. We actually don't know much about our soil. For farmers, they have so many, so many decades and decades of um, experience and intuition about how to grow food, but it, it's very difficult to replicate and it's very yeah. difficult to have, a to have a consistent crop. So um, what we can do is we can take sort of an algorithm, we can create an algorithm for a plant that best suits that specific plant genetics um, and then grow the kind of crop that, that we're looking for. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Our arugula that we grow, same seed, same genetics, um, we've grown the same arugula to be like 10 different levels of spiciness and intensity. So depending on how you stress that plant, you can take the same seed and have endless outcomes yeah. as well. So for us, it's really about finding the best seeds, taking those seeds and trying to understand, you know, what, what lev levers we have to pull and then talking to our consumers and to our customers and saying, what kind of arugula do you want to eat? Yeah. Do you want really spicy arugula, the, you know, or do you want a mild arugula? Do you want something in between and being able to deliver that? So we can use science and we can use data analytics to replicate the best of nature. Is your industry climate change proof? Will you always be able to deliver the same quality of product regardless of the condition around your production? Yes. And that's what's so brilliant about yeah. it. So with, with everything that's going on and, you know, you, the increased weather events, all over the world, droughts, and then hurricanes, and then flooding, um, uh, spikes in temperature, drops in temperature, right? Irregularities, all of those things, it makes it very difficult for farmers to grow food. It makes it very difficult to get a consistent crop, right? Which puts all of us at risk. So with a technology like this, first of all, you can put, you can put one of these farms anywhere. You can put it anywhere. You can put it on the moon if you want to put it on the moon. It really doesn't matter. Um, all you need is a source of water, a source of energy, um, and uh, fertilizer. And you can basically go, go crazy. When it comes to climate change proof, absolutely. And not only that, but you know, our topsoil, as working at the UN, you, you, definitely, you definitely have heard this, but our, our topsoil has been degrading over the last like half a century. So we have really, really poor quality soil around the world for a lot of different reasons. But one of those reasons is mismanagement of land due to agriculture. Um, and so we have a crisis where we our, our soil is just not farmable. You can't grow food on that soil anymore. It needs to rest and, and replenish. It needs very specific regenerative farming techniques in order to rest, digest, and then replenish, right? We can't be extracting from that land and from that soil the way that we're extracting today. It needs to be revived, but we don't use any soil. So you can grow a nice variety of fresh, highly nutrient-dense, perishable pro produce in a way that doesn't involve soil at all. The soil can actually chill. I think that that's really, really important to, to consider as well. Just a note, I work at the European Union, not United Nations, just in case people start asking European me, David, did you, did you change jobs and you didn't tell me? Sorry, the European <laughs> No, 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 it's okay. So you even said you're still learning, right? Your company's still learning. What, what can you do? You grow leafy greens using your methods. What else can you grow? What's more difficult and what's impossible? So I would say nothing is impossible. 
there was just a recent, right now we are focused on, uh, on leafy green vegetables. We are also looking at other crops like vine crops, anything that's on a vine. But that's kind of where I'll stop. We do a lot of sort of top secret research that I, I can't really fully go into. But what I will say is that we have grown a very wide variety of crops in our system. And we have seen that it's, it's possible to grow just about anything. Having said that, should you grow? anything in a vertical farm. That's a different conversation. There was a recent um, study published um, about the um, uh, yields of wheat, the possible yields of wheat grown in a vertical farm. And you can get um, orders of magnitude higher output growing wheat in a vertical farm than outdoors. But does that mean that you should? Probably not. The value of wheat is just not there. there you can't justify that expense. But for things like for fresh perishable products like microgreens, like vine crops, things like strawberries or tomatoes or things where, where, where people will pay a premium for freshness and flavor, you can definitely and should definitely be growing those indoors. And also from the perspective of food safety too, right? You want, think about leafy greens especially is, as a dietitian, I want people to be eating more fresh food, right? Super high vitamins, super high minerals, phytonutrients, prebiotics for that microbiome, right? Leafy greens are so important and it's a category that most people are just not eating enough of. Right now, the only way to get fresh leafy greens is seasonally at the farmer's market, right? But for the most part, that stuff is coming from California. It's super old. It doesn't taste really that, that good anymore, right? It's grown for shelf life, not for flavor or nutrition. You can provide people a solution where they're getting fresh, delicious, super, super fresh, just harvested greens all year round, then that's a great way to get people to eat more of the stuff that they need to be eating. How fast can a leafy vegetable grow? Let's say like a spinach, like arugula, for instance, you were mentioning arugula. How fast can it grow? So in our system, we can grow it in 12 to 14 days. From seed to harvest, 12 to 14 days. In the field, it normally takes 35 to 45 days. Yeah, I was going to ask you, comparing to traditional farming. That's the rotation that you have throughout a month. It's, it's ginormous, right? Because you can do grow a lot of things in 12, 15 days. You can just regrow, basically, right? So that's, that's one of the beauties. So, yeah, so then you don't have to, so for, for a, tr a traditional farmer, you know, for them, they only have a couple of harvests a year, like a couple of crop turns a year. Um, it takes a month, they have to seed it, um, then that the has to rest, they have to rotate the crops, and that's just how... They, it ends up being not, not so many chances to grow. So if you have an issue or a contamination event or something goes on or something goes wrong, you don't really have a lot of opportunity to remedy it. Uh, like it's a quick crop cycle. Uh, looking at the next 10 years, where can aeroponics grow? Can the technology evolve to grow even more foods or has it reached its limit what it can be grown without soil? Um, I think it's just the beginning. We're just at the beginning. We're just scratching the surface. Like now for the first time, you know, it, the investment community is, is excited about, about vertical farming and about aeroponics and hydroponics. And I think we're just now starting to, as an industry, come together to develop a sort of brain trust whereby we can expand what we're growing how we're growing it, how much we're growing. So I, I really do think this is, this is just the beginning. Is this a way to move food production into urban areas? The resource costs between water and carbon emissions are much, much lower. So what resistance do you face as an aeroponics company that keeps you from expanding into a city center? Yeah, so Newark is a city. So Newark it is, is, it is, yeah. Newark is a big city, actually. It's the largest city in New Jersey. That's the first thing. So we mm -hmm. are in an urban environment, in an urban area. Um, 
we had the opportunity. We were whenever we go into a, a new a new city, or, or or looking at look at sites, we're always evaluating a variety of different different elements. So of course, we're looking at real estate costs, we're looking at utilities costs, we're looking at labor availability and labor costs and all of those things. We're looking at how easy is it to transport that food. You know, the last mile in food is still really challenging. Mm -hmm. Trying to get food from the farm to the customer, that last mile is still quite challenging and what we're trying to, trying to solve for as, as a food industry. So what I would say is that we chose Newark because it's perfectly positioned right next to New York City right in New Jersey, next, it's right in that metro area, um, right next to a major highway. So it's really, it's, it's a really opportune place to, um, to pick up and transport our food from. And also, you know, it's got a great history of manufacturing and a lot of great resources, um, but economically really kind of needed a boost and continues to grow in terms of startups coming in, companies coming in. So I think cities like New York City, big cities like city centers like Chicago and, and San Fran, LA, they're all very sexy, but there are other smaller cities or peri-urban communities and suburbs where just as not much, if not more sense to place a farm. Why do you think there's not other companies doing what you're doing? At least someone like me, that's not exactly in your business. It feels and everything looks pretty much perfect because you don't have, like you said, the climate change doesn't affect the production. You can deliver goods, quality, in this case, leafy greens throughout the year. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of investment. Is why we don't see the whole world just shifting into that direction? There's many, 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 many layers. I will say this. When I first joined Air Farms, in our area, there were no other vertical farming companies at all. Today, we, there are other vertical farming, farming companies that have emerged in the last couple of years um, in the United States and all over the world. So as an industry, it's really booming. At the beginning, I think it's a very capital intensive business. It requires a lot of upfront investment to grow um, and also patient capital um, to see you know, the right returns on that investment. I think the investment community really wanted to, it took them a long time to sort of come around um, to investing in other companies. For Air Farms, why we've been different from the beginning is that all of our technology is ours. So we own all of our IP and all of our technology. And so other companies, you know, they maybe high-tech greenhouses, things like that, for the most part, they're purchasing off-the-shelf technology that's existed and kind of retrofitting it. Our technology is our own. From the beginning, we've been very bullish about making sure that what we're doing is really unique. And we're, we're creating technology specifically for growing indoors in a unique way um, and maximizing quality and output. So I think that now today, because of companies like ours that have really kind of set the stage for the industry, now there's more interest and more investment. And I would, I would say that in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a lot more vertical farming companies popping up. But it's, we've gotten so much excitement about what we're doing and we are expanding around the world. We have a, a new project in Abu Dhabi that's going to be, um, we're going to start building it out this year and next year. And that's with Audio, the Abu Dhabi Investment Office. And we're going to be building actually the largest, even bigger than our current footprint, vertical farm um, dedicated to research and development in that region. Yeah, there's, it's, this is just the beginning. Shifting the conversation a little bit. What was your first memory of taste? Of taste? Yeah. Oh man. Um, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of answer this in a couple of ways. So I, we immigrated here when I was a little kid and- um, From Belarus, right? You were mentioning Belarus, before, yeah. To Brooklyn, New York. And a lot, my family, you know, my, I was raised, my sister and I, we were raised by my grandmother. And, she, you know, Russian food is very bland. <laughs> it's not very memorable. It's a lot of borscht with sour cream and like pickled cabbage and things that we hated. Like we really didn't want to eat any of that food. You know, now as an adult, I actually really like it. I'm like, <laughs> I love cabbage now. I'm like, I love beef now, but before I hated it. Um, and so I remember, um, and we never ate American food. And we never, I had no concept of what American food was other than like school food. But I remember once we took a family trip to um, Amish country and I was maybe six, something like that. And we went to the Amish community up in Pennsylvania or somewhere in upstate New York. And we ate at an Amish establishment. And I tried a roast chicken with mashed potatoes and corn for the first time. And it was so flavorful because they literally grow their own chickens. They grow their own potatoes, everything from scratch. And I remember tasting that and remembering and thinking, wow, this is what food tastes like. And the amount of care that they, that they took with every ingredient and how simple it was, but how delicious every single ingredient was. I remember that being a really prominent uh, food memory of mine as a kid. What is the most underrated ingredient for you? Microgreens. <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good sell. Yeah, it is. It's true. Microgreens. Yep. They tend to 40 times as nutrient dense as mature greens. In a tiny little handful, you can get, it's basically like eating a vitamin pack. It's insane. And they taste amazing. It's like nature's little medicine, you know, bowl of medicine. And we grow amazing microgreens, obviously, at Air Farms. I recommend everyone, where, everyone to go out and, and buy dream greens. But you can also grow them on your windowsill. You can yeah. literally grow microgreens on your windowsill. It'll take you like three times as long. But if you just eat them every single day, stick a handful in your smoothies or in your salads, it's the single, one of the single best things that you can do. The most overrated ingredient? Um, everything. I'm trying to think of, I think everything is so overrated. Cheese. Cheese. I think in American cuisine, what I found in any time I go to like a, I love cheese. Let's just step back for a second. I love cheese. I love really high quality goat cheeses and sheep-based cheeses and um, artisanal cheeses. Great. But in American cuisine, I've just found that there's cheese on everything. There's cheese in every salad. There's cheese in soup. There's cheese. They just put cheese in everything. Um, and I think the my favorite my favorite cuisines are cuisines like Japanese cuisine, um, Mediterranean cuisine, where you're really highlighting ingredients that are in season. You're minimally processing them. You're cooking them just to highlight the beauty of, of the ingredient and complementing the flavors of that ingredient with what else is in season instead of taking butter and taking, I would say butter is the most overrated ingredient, taking okay. butter and taking cheese and throwing it into everything. I know the French cuisine, French cooking and French culinary tradition is, is very beautiful, but you don't need to put butter and cheese into everything. The best breakfast you can have. Oh my gosh. I wish you sent me this, these questions earlier. Yeah, those are my secret questions for, ever, oh. for every guest. The best breakfast I've ever had. I love breakfast. It's my favorite. It's my favorite type of cuisine. It's like my favorite day part to eat, but I never eat breakfast. So I only really eat breakfast on weekends, full breakfast or brunch. 
I was just um, upstate for six weeks with three of my dear friends and we had a final brunch together and we all cooked together and we had very simple farmer's market, pasture raised eggs. We had beautiful gluten-free pancakes, um, a beautiful kale salad from the garden of the neighbor next door. And just the simplicity of all of that kind of put together, but just super high quality ingredients is, is my favorite thing. Anything with eggs is my favorite. What is the strangest combination food-wise some people might do it that you just cannot accept when people put one or two things together that you're like, nope. I eat some weird stuff, man. I eat a lot of weird stuff. No, what you eat, it's fine. Other people might eat it. You're like, no. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's why. Okay. P pineapple <laughs> on pizza. Weird. I don't get it. Why would you like, I just don't understand. I don't understand at all. Cheese and pineapple. Why? It's like an indigestion. It's like, <laughs> can, you, can you walk after? Like, I can't, I, I feel like if I ate that, I wouldn't be able to sit for like, <laughs> A couple of hours. So the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that exceeded all expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Hmm. I would say breaking dishes is a more apt visual metaphor for who I am. But in terms of exceeding I would say less about exceeding expectations and more about exceeding um, any logical uh, assumptions. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think that especially like, you know, working in vertical farming, my career path, my, I've always been a, quite unconventional in comparison to my friends and family. Yeah. When it comes to the end of the podcast, I always tell my guests to sell their fish in Portugal. If someone tells you to sell your fish, That means, you talk, that means you talk about yourself. It's in the future for you, of course, also, you know, connected to Aero Farms, you know, where people can find Aero Farms and all of that. Okay. How, do you say, how do you say that in Portuguese? Say vender o peixe, vender, which is sell, peixe is fish. So, yeah. Vender o peixe. Vender okay. o peixe, yeah. Um, so, when it comes to Aero Farms, I would, if, if you're interested in following the journey of Aero Farms, um, please follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, at AeroFarms, that's A-E-R-O-F-A-R-M-S. Um, and if you're in the New York tri-state area and you want to try our greens, um, the product is called Dream Greens by AeroFarms and that's at Love Dream Greens. Um, so I would encourage everyone to, to go out and, and follow us and follow our journey. And you can message us, DM us. If you, if you want to connect with me, I'll, I'll get the message. Personally, I'm while I'm alive on this planet, I want to be working at the forefront of basically changing our food system to improve our health and the health of the planet. And so I'm really excited about continuing to work at Aero Farms and then in the future, just keeping with my mission and helping launch companies that are, that are doing the same things. Everything from high tech companies to, to low tech companies, it doesn't matter. We need solutions. Um, we're a growing global population. Everyone needs to eat and everyone needs access to clean, fresh water and clean air. So that's what I'm excited to continue to, to dedicate my time to. Alina, thank you very much uh, for accepting this invitation. I hope when everything calms down, you go to Portugal. Oh, I would love to. And then you start selling your fish in Portugal. You just As soon as you land, you just start selling your fish in Portugal. If I ever go to New Jersey, because I know there's a big Portuguese <laughs> community there, I'll stop by. I'll oh, say hi. wonderful. Absolutely. So thank you very yeah. much. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Did you like that episode? Raise your hands. Me too. 
Thank you very much for listening to the episode. I'm so grateful for all the messages and comments that you have left. And if you haven't done that, don't forget also to subscribe to the podcast, share, tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. You can follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes, and you can also send me an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. Don't forget I release an episode every Tuesday and Friday of each week, so stay tuned all the time. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. Have an amazing day. Adios.